We're in Botanic Gardens in South Belfast and we're right outside the Ulster Museum, which has recently been renovated, so it's got a lovely extension to it. We're going in here and there's a special gallery, it's called the Troubles Gallery, on the ground floor in a sort of quiet corner of the museum. That's where they have a presentation on the most recent history of the Troubles in, in Northern Ireland. My name is Katie Hayward. I teach sociology in Queen's University. I'm originally from a little village called Upper Bucklebury in Berkshire. I moved over to Northern Ireland in 1995 to do youth work and then to study in McGee, which is in Derry, and I studied peace and conflict studies. I stayed on the island of Ireland. I went down to Dublin to do my PhD, and now I teach students here on conflict and on peace and on the contemporary changes in Ireland and Irish society. We're currently in the Troubles Gallery in the Ulster Museum, which is a small part of the museum dedicated to the contemporary history of the Troubles, summarising it for, I imagine, first and foremost tourists, but I bring my students here as a good way of prompting them to think and talk about the Troubles and the impact of the conflict. Many would have been born during the peace process, so the Troubles wouldn't be such a, a strong memory for them. Nonetheless, there's a lingering effect of the Troubles in contemporary Northern Ireland. Most of the students that I teach would be local students, a few from the South, a few from Britain, but for the large part they'd be from here. I do teach a module specifically on the conflict, and that is of more interest to international students and local students, funnily enough. I think there's a certain caution amongst the younger generation who are from here in talking about the conflict. For good reason. Partly it's because they realise it's very significant, but they're not necessarily sure of the reasons for it. And also partly they don't want to deal with it because they completely disassociate themselves from what it stood for. So for the majority of the students, they don't strongly identify with either unionism or nationalism, and therefore they become slightly wary of engaging at all with discussions about the future of Northern Ireland, because it very quickly gets into those us-and-them debates. When I first moved to Northern Ireland in the mid-90s, the experience of conflict was quite evident and normal. So, for example the passing of soldiers on the street, you know, heavily armed soldiers, British Army soldiers, would be very common. It would be usual to be have your bag inspected going into supermarkets. The constant alertness that you have to potential danger was just part and parcel of life. And also the sense of anticipation and danger around the parading season, the marching season and around July, a lot of tensions can happen around that because it brings to the fore senses of victory and victimhood that still have resonances today in contemporary Northern Ireland politics. I conduct research every year on a particularly contentious parade in an area of North Belfast called Ardoin. So every year there's a parade from the Orange Order celebrating the Protestant victory at the Battle of the Boyne. It comes down through a predominantly Catholic area to meet up with more bands and they walk on into town. This is something that 
is objected to by the Catholic residents because it's almost rubbing their noses in this historic victory. And it also raises tensions and about mixed communities and, and living together in contemporary Belfast, so it brings it to the fore. My research every year has been on how this is managed and how behind-the-scenes discussions and negotiations can help facilitate agreement, if not resolution, on the street at this difficult time. There's been a lot of changes over the period of time that I've been observing these parades. Some of them are very visible, so it relates to the way that the police manage the parade, whether they're wearing heavy-duty riot gear or whether they're in shirt sleeves, for example, makes a big difference to the atmosphere in a parade. They've, they've learned that. Other changes have been in relation to the groups negotiating behind the scenes and using mediation. But one thing that strikes me is the way in which whatever happens and the political level between the parties and the amount of trust that there is between political parties is very much manifest on the ground. A few years ago, we had protests in Belfast City around the flying of flags, the, the flying of the Union flag of Belfast City Hall. This caused great political tensions between the parties, and that was manifest then on the 12th of July on that contentious parade through Ardoin. So, Whenever the police and local communities are trying to manage contentious parades, they're not just dealing with what's on the street in front of them, they're also dealing with wider tensions and distrust that are very manifest at the highest levels. Traditionally, unionists and nationalists within Northern Ireland have had very different approaches to European integration. The best way of understanding that is to think about the way in which Ireland, as a member state, has had a generally very positive, warm response to the European Union and has seen European integration as a means of enhancing its sovereignty. And this was reflected in the nationalist position within Northern Ireland because they, for the most part, have seen it as a good thing to be part of a wider international grouping. And it places Northern Ireland on the international stage in that way. Unionist position towards the European Union has very much reflected a more cautious British nationalism, which has seen European integration as taking away from British sovereignty, as compromising it. When we came to the Brexit referendum, we had this demonstrated in the positions taken by the main parties. Now, the Ulster Unionist Party officially was supporting a Remain vote. It's a sort of pragmatic unionist approach. But when we saw how people did actually vote, it was quite clear that even Ulster Unionist Party supporters were in the main voting to leave. And that reflects that traditional British nationalist unionist approach. Um, so since then, what we've seen is the way in which Brexit has further divided an already existing tension. And it goes to the very heart of what these ideological positions are and the sense of the future direction of the country. And now anticipating Brexit, they are girding themselves for the impact that Brexit might have on the relationship between Britain and Ireland and indeed the nature of the United Kingdom itself. So we're at a very interesting time in Northern Ireland because these huge political questions that we thought had been more or less not resolved but agreed upon or managed 
and now right back to the fore and at the heart of that is the future of the Irish border. Polls would suggest that people haven't changed their views on Brexit since the referendum and this isn't really too surprising if we think about the situation in Northern Ireland whereby staunch unionism has been associated with a staunch leave position and this is just getting more and more deeply entrenched as we see in the relationship between the DUP and the Conservative Party now. Then, on the other hand, Remain voters and the vast majority of Irish nationalists within Northern Ireland were Remain voters, that they too are confident of their position and deeply concerned about the effects of Brexit on the position of Northern Ireland and on North-South relations. One thing that's interesting to note is that in Northern Ireland, we already had a sense of a very clear lack of progress and a sense of uncertainty and anxiety about the future. So the power-sharing arrangements had been suspended. There was a standoff between Sinn Féin and the DUP. And talks were ongoing to try and resolve this, get the Assembly and the Executive up and running at this critical time. Now, into that comes the snap general election earlier this year, called by Theresa May. This was a first-past-the-post electoral system in use, and this is important because it means that in the various constituencies in Northern Ireland that may have quite a significant mix of Catholics and Protestants, Unionists and Nationalists, ultimately only one person can stand for that constituency. And in the context of Northern Ireland and the nature of that majoritarian electoral system, you have people wanting to vote for a party that they think ultimately will defend unionism or nationalism the, the most strongly, regardless of the nuances of policy. And of course, in the context of Brexit, they were even more determined to vote that way and even more wary of the other party of Sinn Féin or the DUP. So the result that we had in Northern Ireland was a very clear divide, with one exception, an independent MP, a very clear divide between hardline Sinn Féin for the nationalist side and hardline the DUP on the unionist side. Now, this is significant for Northern Ireland's political future because the representation of Northern Ireland and Westminster is now in the hands pretty much solely of the DUP, the Unionist Party. And that's because Sinn Féin won't take up their seats in Westminster. They've had an historical position of abstentionism because they don't want to swear allegiance to the Queen or to partake in the, in the whole Westminster system. So the DUP MPs, there are 10 of them now in Westminster representing Northern Ireland. And they, as it turns out, hold significant power. And Theresa May, in doing a deal with the DUP, has ultimately changed internal dynamics in Northern Ireland because the DUP now punches above its weight in Westminster and has the ear of the Prime Minister on significant matters. Unionists feel very reassured by this in some ways because Brexit for them did cause some, so some doubts about the future of the United Kingdom. If you think about what's happening in Scotland and the rise of Scottish nationalism and the strong Remain vote there. So for the Conservative government to be reliant on the votes of the DUP, temporarily at least, secures the union in some ways. This only exacerbates the lack of trust that there is between Sinn Féin and the DUP. So now for nationalists within Northern Ireland, and indeed the almost one in two people in Northern Ireland who are neither unionist nor nationalist, the question is who represents us 
at the highest political levels, who represents us in Westminster, who represents the Remain vote in Westminster, and then also in the absence of a sitting assembly who represents us regionally as well. And if we bring back into this the question of the future of Northern Ireland and the representation of Northern Ireland's very specific interests in the negotiations, you see the problem here and the, the urgency and the anxiety that there is about trying to protect the fragile peace process here and to prevent many of the harms that could possibly be caused by a hard Brexit to Northern Ireland. Very few schools in Northern Ireland are integrated, so mixed Protestant and Catholics. So when students come to university, it's the first time of being in an environment consistently that is diverse and mixed. In the university too, you have the added benefit of meeting students and people from all around the world. And the expansion and internationalization of Queen's University has embodied the changes that we've seen in contemporary Northern Ireland itself. You can see this in the census returns, that there's been a growing diversity of the population in Northern Ireland. A lot of this is related to the expansion of the European Union in the mid-2000s. So when we come to Brexit and we look at the response from Northern Ireland, the letter that was written by the First Minister and Deputy First Minister last August, so over a year ago now. And in that letter, they explicitly state that they want Northern Ireland to continue to benefit from immigration, including unskilled workers. This is an interesting point because it really brings to the fore the distinctiveness of Northern Ireland and the willingness of unionist and nationalist political leaders to emphasize the importance of immigration and diversity in Northern Ireland. The connection between that population change and growth to the peace process itself I think is a very close one. Some of the research I've been doing looking at why people voted to leave, quite a number of them bring up the whole issue of immigration as a motivating factor for voting to leave and so this will be an interesting challenge of course for politicians navigating the impact of Brexit in Northern Ireland, managing the expectations of leave voters but also, of course, the economic and social needs of Northern Ireland. One thing that makes Northern Ireland's position quite so unique, as the European Commission has been careful to emphasise, is, of course, the border, the Irish border. And I've been doing some research in the Irish border region, so that's both sides of the border, looking at people's views on Brexit and their anticipation about the effects that it might have. One thing you see in the border region is that people's experience of European integration is very vivid and lived because it entails crossing the border very frequently. So it makes the experience of uh, European Union membership quite different to that, say, in Oxford or in uh, Hull, in that the land border and the opening up of that land border and the facilitation of free movement through European membership means something very real to people. And on top of that, of course, you have the experience of the peace process, the memories that are still very vivid of not being able to cross the border easily or of being stopped at the border. So when people think about Brexit, they immediately leap to the question of, well, what happens to the border? And what might it mean for a harder border to be in place? There's an obsession in 
the British government thinking about it, understandably so, that they want to maintain an invisible border, so to have controls, but as long as they're not visible. But actually, the sense of any friction at all to trading across the border or of moving across the border, of living on one side and working on the other, which many people do, all of this doesn't just bring inconvenience, it also stirs up very strong memories of being divided and being harmed by this hard border that used to exist. The concerns that people have are who's going to represent our voice, who's going to represent Northern Ireland's interest. This relates, of course, to the fact that the executive isn't sitting at the moment. It relates to the lack of accurate representation of citizens in Northern Ireland in Westminster. Think about what might happen in the future and how Brexit may affect Northern Ireland. Forefront of people's minds is the sense of being peripheral politically. This has had a long history, of course, but it's very clear now if we look at the representation of Northern Ireland, even in Westminster. Traditionally, there has been concern that it hasn't properly represented nationalist and strong nationalist or Republican views. And that's very clear now in that we have 10 DUP hardline unionist MPs there, one independent, and then no representation for the nationalist community. There's long been a history of feeling that the experience in Northern Ireland has been determined by people who have no direct connection to Northern Ireland or no direct interest in Northern Ireland. The gap between London and Belfast can seem very, very large. And at this particular time, people not just in Belfast, but of course in, in Derry and then in the rural border counties feel that gap between the thinking in London about the European Union and the future of the United Kingdom and the lived experience in Northern Ireland is just extremely large. So that leads to anxieties and to some frustration too, thinking how can we best have our voice represented, who indeed is going to represent our interests and our concerns. So when I'm doing this research in the border region, this comes through not just on the northern side of the border, but also on the southern side of the border, these southern border counties who would be very much affected by so-called hard Brexit and who are concerned that their particular needs aren't going to be properly considered in any outcome from the negotiations. The overriding feeling that comes across in interviewing people in the border region is one of uncertainty. Maybe you could say that everybody in the United Kingdom and even across Europe feels that uncertainty regarding Brexit. We don't know how things are going to pan out. But the uncertainty in Northern Ireland and in the border region has a particular edge to it, of course, because the impact of Brexit and any harder border between the United Kingdom and the European Union will have very immediate effects, not just in economic terms, in terms of trade, but in terms of the ease of studying on the other side of the border, of working on the other side of the border, of getting your pension, of travelling for healthcare, everyday life could be disrupted. So into that uncertainty comes rumours, of course, and comes worst-case scenarios. Also comes some form of political opportunism, because the anticipation of a harder border really evokes memories of, of the past, of distrust, of having no control to protect local interests, of it all being decided above our heads. Even if you think about being in the Troubles Gallery and the images around us 
of the civil rights movement, of the quest to protect human rights and, and dignity and respect equality of citizens in Northern Ireland, these issues are still very present today. Some people are concerned that they're at risk if the very principle of the equality of Irish citizens and British citizens within Northern Ireland is put in doubt as a consequence of Brexit, then we have a serious problem for the peace process itself. My name is Dominic Ham. I'm a PhD researcher at Queen's University Belfast and I'm conducting research on crisis communication in response to jihadist terrorist attacks and how that affects society. I'm from Dortmund in the very west of Germany. When I first arrived in Belfast, I came directly from the bus station to the Queen's Quarter, where the Queen's University is. And there's also the beautiful Botanic Garden with the Rose Garden we are sitting in right now. I was really impressed by the beauty of this part of town. I really wasn't expecting that when I, when I first thought about coming to Belfast. What was special about the Queen's Quarter is that the main attraction site in, in this quarter is Queen's University, which is probably the most beautiful building in town. Many cheerers come here and it is a very mixed international neighborhood. There are students from all around the world living here, studying here. People are very open-minded, very friendly. I think the, the result of the Brexit referendum hit me a bit more than most Germans because my parents have very close links to England. They both lived in England over a longer period of time. So I remember the morning after the Brexit referendum talking to my mom before I checked the news and she was devastated. She never expected that, like most English people I know, especially in that age group. So I, I was affected by the referendum before I came here. And then obviously only having the German passport, not the British one, I, I wasn't quite sure what would happen to us after Brexit actually happened and what it would look like, which effect it would have on us international students. Well, we still don't know. We got emails from Queen's University, as did most students in the UK, I guess, explaining to us that we shouldn't worry about it right now, that they will take care of it. But obviously nobody knows how they're going to take care of it or what needs to be taken care of. I would definitely want to stay here in Belfast and Queen's University to finish my PhD research. And after that, it really depends on what the Brexit is going to look like, which effect it will have on students like me, and if I will still have the same opportunities to work in the UK as I would have had a year ago. Considering the historical background of Germany, especially World War II, being a member of the European Union is very important to Germans. The initial idea of the European Union that the European countries should stick together to avoid anything similar to what happened in the 1930s and 40s to ever happen again. So for most Germans it's unthinkable to leave the European Union. It's very difficult for many Germans to understand how the majority of the British population could have voted in favor of leaving the European Union. Living here in, in the Queen's Quarter, we're really living in a bubble. It's different than other parts of town, so around here in my daily life I'm hardly ever affected by it only when I exchange currencies, which is quite good for me now, since the pound is much weaker than it was before the Brexit referendum. But leaving the Queen's Quarter, going to the city centre and going to certain Protestant or Catholic parts of town, it is quite worrisome. You, people are uncertain what's, what's going to happen, if there's going to be a soft or hard border between the Republic and Northern Ireland, and which effect that would have on the more radicalized members of the Northern Irish society, Protestant and Catholic. 
But that's, at least for me, with my knowledge, that's unpredictable how that's going to turn out. Not knowing that much about what it is like living in a post-conflict society, as it is here in Belfast in Northern Ireland, I didn't really expect the society to be as divided as it is. 56% voted remain during the Brexit referendum, but then... DUP got 10 seats and Sinn Féin got 7 seats, which showed two different extremes, and that really showed how how divided society is. I was really surprised by that, and I've, I think that's one of the main reasons why people here in Northern Ireland are and have the right to be more worried about Brexit than they do in other parts of the UK, even though everyone's obviously quite worried and uncertain. As to the future, what life is going to be after Brexit... It's, it's very difficult to predict, I think. It's, there's so much uncertainty right now and there's very little progress made by the British government and the European Union. But obviously there are hopes for me, being European, living in the UK. I hope that it's going to be a soft Brexit, that we won't be affected by it too directly, too, too strongly. There are worries. Well, in my case, student fees for example we as European citizens we have lower student fees than other international students from the States from Asia or wherever and nobody knows what that's going to look like and that might change the whole picture of especially cities like Belfast Queen's Quarter and other university cities in the UK because the good thing about it now is that you can exchange knowledge and cultural backgrounds with people from all around the world and nobody knows what, what that's going to look like and that's going to affect research in the UK and life in general, of course.